I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, it's your own personal Beatles time. Welcome back to another episode I'm Jack Pelling, and with me, as per, is my young friend, Robin. Yes. Hi, it's Robin Allender. Hello. How are you? Yeah, very good, thanks. Very excited about this week's episode. Andrew O'Neill was a brilliant guest and very knowledgeable about not just Beatles, but heavy metal and occultism. Yeah. If you uh, are unfamiliar with Andrew's work, they are a, a cult comedian. A cult and occult as well, I think. You know, <laughs> That's true, yeah. yeah. And they also do some unironic music performance mm. um, in, of, of metal songs and a couple of Beatles songs, which we'll, we'll talk about. Yeah. Uh, they've written a brilliant book called The History of Heavy Metal, which we'll also be chatting about alongside their personal Beatles. Yeah, I really like Andrew's Interest in Help, the album, which I think gets mm. overlooked quite a lot. One thing that I think sort of shows how good help is, is the fact that wait, they left it off help and put it on Rubber Soul. And it just fits like a glove on Rubber Soul. In fact, it was my favourite song on Rubber Soul for a while. Oh, really? Yeah. Did you know that, that it, they recorded it during the help? I did not know yeah. that, yeah. I mean, I can think of a few songs on that uh, soundtrack record that <laughs> could have been booted Exa- out for wait. Yeah, I know. But, um, <laughs> right, yeah. It's, yeah, it's interesting stronger. decision. Yeah, stronger than some of the songs on help. But but I think, I think Andrew's makes a, a, a really good point about help and I think it is that thing where it's one of those albums where you do see the seeds of things changing that are kind of more obvious in Rubber Soul but it's a, mm. yeah it was, it was a good chat uh, so before we get onto that and our weekly wings we'll just do a little bit of correspondence this is an email from Chris Dimitriou who is a uh, long-term listener he says hi Jack and Robin hope you're both doing very well I just wanted to send you a message to say thanks for your bonus episode on Revolver Super Deluxe box set which uh, you can listen to now if you are a Patreon or subscribing by Apple podcast but that that isn't a plug for this um, but he says I've been spending the last few days listening along to your thoughts track by track alongside listening to the songs on Spotify. Robin mentioning I'm Only Sleeping, perhaps sounding like a kink song, reminded me that Ray Davis infamously reviewed the album back at the time of release in 1966. Now, I remember this doing the rounds on social media um, a while ago. Are you are you aware of this? Yeah, review? because Andy Miller mentions this in the um, 33 and a third book about Village Green Preservation Society. Right. I, th- I think Ray Davis was kind of on a high... So there's a bit of hubris involved because <laughs> after '66, yeah. you know, in the, and you know how kind of botched Village Green was in the release. It's kind of it does look a bit a little bit arrogant now. <laughs> well, I mean, that's putting it mildly. <laughs> it's pretty damning about yeah. what is now probably considered the greatest uh, album of the 20th century by many. But uh, a few choice lines if you're not aware of this one. So he does it track by track. Eleanor Rigby. I bought a Haydn LP the other day, and it sounds just like this. It's a sort of quartet stuff, and it sounds like they're out to please music teachers in primary schools. <laughs> <laughs> that's actually very astute, though. I think I like that 
<laughs> he says, um, I can imagine John saying, I'm going to write this for my old school mistress. Still, it's very commercial. Uh, he likes I'm Only Sleeping. Um, he's sort of on the fence about uh, Love You Too. Here, there and everywhere, he doesn't like that. Um, he says, this proves the Beatles have got good memories because there are loads of chords in it. <laughs> <laughs> I think, I mean, this is by the by, Here, There and Everywhere is a sort of answer to If I Fell, I think. Lots of similar right. stuff going on with the chords. Haven't got time mm-hmm. for it here, but I think they, they there's a really interesting relationship between those two songs. Anyway, carry on. Yeah, Ray. similar texture. Mm. Uh, she says she said doesn't like that. He says this song is in to restore confidence in old Beatles sound. That's all. Uh, That's yellow <laughs> yellow submarine. This is a load of rubbish. <laughs> um, I take the Mickey out of myself on the piano and play stuff like this. I think they know it's not that good. Good day, sunshine. He likes Annual Burke and sing. Don't like this. The song's too predictable. It's not a Beatles song at all. That's crazy. Isn't there a bit at the end where he says he likes the balance? He's talking about the mix. He says he likes the balance. It's kind of quite a nice old-fashioned way of talking about the mix mm. of the record. Mm. Yeah, and he talks about double tracking in quite an interesting way. Like it's, it's very newfangled technology. But he also talk, says that he's not a fan of all this electronic sound. Mm. So I'm not. What, what, do you, what, does he think, what do you think he's referring to there? Oh, the tape loops and things, I think. Tomorrow Never Knows. Right, okay, because mm. he comes on to that later. Doesn't like yeah. that either. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he says, um, ooh, listen to all those crazy sounds. It'll be popular <laughs> in the discotheques. I can imagine they had George Martin tied to a totem pole when they did this. Oh, that's so good. But that's why Ray Davis is so good, though. It's just, he is a voice in the wilderness, I think. Like yeah, but I, I always thought that that came from him being slightly embittered in his kind of middle to late. Because that is very much the voice of Ray Davis now. Yeah, I know. Where he's a sort of damning rent-a-gob. <laughs> well, yeah. Yes, I mean, know. I absolutely love Ray Davis to bits, but he's quite a lugubrious fellow. <laughs> Dave Davis on Twitter and Instagram is absolutely worth a follow. He's very. There's no filter there. <laughs> Yeah. And he kind of admits, like, he doesn't really understand Twitter. There's something very sweet about it. I really like Dave Davis on mm. Twitter now. If you want to read the whole of that, it's available online um, or it's in Far Out magazine. Uh, but it's well worth a read and a yeah. good companion piece to our uh, our bonus episode from the other day. Oh, talking of Revolver as well, after the show, I've, I didn't go quite as mad as I did when talking about the tape speeds of Rain. But I have got another little uh, screed about uh, mono and stereo editions of the album. So, you know, I've got that to look forward to. <laughs> yeah, well, that'll keep them hanging on the line. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so um, if you want to get in touch with us, you can email me, jack at homespunsounds.com, or you can follow us on all the social medias at Personal Beatles. And if you do want to get those bonus episodes, there'll be more on the way, plus early access and ad-free episodes and all of the old extended ones from series one and two. Mm. Uh, then you can go to patreon.com forward slash personal Beatles, or you can just subscribe right within the bloody apple podcasts app if you want to if that is your want mm, and i was just gonna say before we go on to weekly wings very much worth checking out the i'm only sleeping video which is absolutely fantastic it was yes. released yesterday beautifully put together very hard to describe really i mean it's just so evocative and so looks so beautiful yeah i mean it's essentially sort of animated oil paintings which mm. would suggest it was quite a laborious process also in other beatly news do check out the trailer for Inaratu's new film bardo mm. which makes 
quite exceptional use of I Am the Walrus. Yeah. So have a watch of that. It looks very that good. That looks head-scramblingly wonderful. Yes. So before we crack on with Andrew O'Neill, it's time for www.ww.com Weekly Wings. Take it away. <laughs> That's good. Great. So this week on Weekly Wings, we're, we're returning to Venus and Mars, and it's Magneto and Titanium Man. This is such an interesting song because basically it's part of the Marvel Comics universe. <laughs> <laughs> of which you're a huge fan, I know. Yeah. But um, genuinely, I mean, it's obviously based on the comic book characters. And yeah. um, Stan Lee said he really loved the song. He said he thought it was terrific. The Roots played it uh, as walk-on music for Michael Fassbender when he was on The Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon during uh, his promotional right. tour for one of the X-Men films. I think there's a couple of interesting things about this song. First is, how has Paul McCartney not sued Bell and Sebastian? Because <laughs> when he's press play, it is the boy with the Arab strap, isn't it? Yeah, it's right. so okay. similar. So yeah. similar. Well, I think the Bell and Sebastian song is kind of a nod, I think. Mm. The other thing that's really interesting about this song is, have you ever seen Mike Lee's film Nuts in May? Yes, yeah, yeah. It's one of my favourite It's films. in the, it's It's like diegetically in it somewhere, isn't it? Exactly, yes. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's a brilliant Mike Lee film um, about an extremely uptight hippie couple who are going camping and their holiday mm. kind of gets ruined by other people. And um, <laughs> the, the fantastic character of Ray has got his radio on. And Keith Pratt asks him, are you listening to your radio? Not really. Would you mind turning it off then, please? And the song that's playing is Magneto and Titanium Man. Oh, right. Well, there you go. And so when I was listening through to Venus and Mars, when I was going through my big Wings album, Listen, between series... I, I heard the song and thought, God, where do I recognise it from? And then I realised it was from Nuts in May. And from knowing the film Nuts in May, I always thought this song, which I kind of didn't know what it was, seemed so representative of this kind of drab, brown, corduroy, 70s kind of sound. <laughs> Possibly because yeah. it's on this kind of tinny transistor radio. Mm. But then when you actually listen to the song, I think it's really good. It's really exciting. It's so unusual. It's a great bit of glam. It's yeah. a good genre bit of glam. Um, it's it's kind of sounds a bit like Queen in places as well. I, I would say it's very very Queeny, yeah. almost kind of spinal tappy. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, that's true, yeah. <laughs> and a bit slady as well. Yeah, I mean it's skirting around pastiche. Um, yes, maybe sort of dipping a toe in, <laughs> yeah. but um, at the same time it's sort of yeah in that glammy way. And I think it's really interesting on Venus and Mars because there's a real stew of influences on Venus and Mars because of the glam thing. Because mm. I, I think, I, I was really struck by this, the, the song Let, Letting Go. I thought mm. that's got a real hint of uh, Roxy music. Right. But yeah, um, yeah. I mean, specifically, it sounds almost like Love is the Drug, but Letting Go came out before Love is the Drug. So maybe, yeah. you know, so... This is gearing you, up for full ferry. Yeah, and uh, I also think the Jimmy McCulloch song Medicine Jar on Venus and Mars is very good. Which, because I think... Mm. I mean, it's very sad. It's very tragic, really, in, in light of what happened to him. But um, there's, that, that for me, there's something of Solo Lennon about that song. Mm. So I, I think Venus and Mars has got such an... It's such an interesting mix of songs. Yeah, but it's a very interesting choice. Yeah, I kind of chose it for the Nuts in May 
thing really but uh, yeah it's sort of quintessentially 70s in almost mm. every way <laughs> yeah totally <laughs> some ways that seem to be antithetical yeah but anyway yeah have a listen let us know what you think if you haven't heard it already but i mean yeah We'll be back next week with some more <laughs> Weekly Wings. I like the way it's as if we're sort of listen to these great rarities and, you know, it's got like 100 million views on YouTube. <laughs> yeah, we'll be dusting off another gem from the archive next week. Yeah. Uh, but for me, they, they, you know, a lot of these are. I think a lot of, obviously, Wings have got a huge fan base, but I don't think it's fair to say that every Beatles fan knows every Wings album inside out, you know. No, it seems to be pretty age-dependent. Yeah, how intimate your knowledge of Wings is. But yeah, that's what we're here for. You're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So without any further ado, let's crack on with the brilliant Andrew O'Neill and we'll be back at the end. This week, I I always say delighted, but I always feel that I use that word too much and that if I don't say it, you'll they'll suddenly think we're not delighted <laughs> to have wondering you. if you're going to downgrade <laughs> me. No, I'm not. We are delighted. We're bloody delighted this week on your own personal Beatles to be joined by Andrew O'Neill. Hello, Hello, Andrew. How are you? Hi, I'm really good, thanks. Very well. Welcome, welcome. Welcome. Um, it's, uh, yeah, really looking forward to chatting to you about your personal Beatles. Uh, Sorry, Beatles. Beatles, yeah. Right, no, that's... Okay, <laughs> no, that's fine. I'm sure I can... Um, and we, if we're sounding a little bit more professional than usual, we're not in our regular home. We're in uh, Soho Studios, just before going to chat to previous guest, John Higgs, about his book about Bond and the Beatles, um, which you're doing a bit of stand-up on? Yeah, I'm doing a bit about Bond. <laughs> like I'm, I've fully split myself today, it's quite fun. Yeah, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do my, I'm doing my granddad's history of James Bond. Oh, great. Oh. Which is yeah, you'll still see it. It's on if you want to. It's on YouTube if people want to look it up. Does your granddad know Bond well? No, right. Oh, no, <laughs> see, absolutely, yeah. categorically yeah. knows almost nothing about Bond, and 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 he doesn't sound like my granddad either. So yeah, it's a, it's a really, it's a really forced Irish accent. Um, but I'll, again, I'll sort of keep my powder dry, yeah. and you can see what I do tonight. I'm, I'm mildly trepidatious about doing it in front of. It'll either go the best it's ever gone. Or the worst it's ever gone due to the Bond nature of the event. Mm. Yeah. You know? Yeah. We'll I've heard uh, Barbara Broccoli is coming tonight, so it's perfect. But we're not here to talk about Bond. Uh, we're here to talk about the Beatles. Yeah. And I guess people will know you primarily for being a metal fan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but definitely. But Beatles is sort of uh, very much part of your musical DNA as well. Absolutely. Like, completely central. So my, my dad uh, is a massive Beatles fan. Um, and growing up in the car, the Beatles were never that far away from the, the tape deck. Um, and I also, like my kind of musical background, my, my parents um, always had Radio 2 on and my nan who lived there. So all the time I had this incredible like sort of musical education of sort of 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s pop music, which means I write, when I, when I write, I write horribly catchy songs. There's something about <laughs> that. Um, and um, and then it's, it's I, was, I was kind of thinking about this, Yesterday, when I was thinking about coming on, about how I, I, I don't think I've ever had a Beatles phase. Mm. I don't think I've ever had a point with which I've just like really gone for it because they've always been there. They've absolutely yeah. always been there. And um, I think over the last few years, I've started learning a lot more of their songs, um, playing a lot of their stuff. And there's something really beautiful about that kind of thing of inhabiting the music in that way of playing it. Mm. Um, but yeah, they're, 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 they're sort of, they've, they've absolutely always been there. And my dad's 
very ill at the moment. Uh, he's got dementia and lots of other lots of other things. And the way I sort of connect with him is by playing and singing Beatles songs. So he used to be in a in a sort of little covers band when he was in the navy. Um, and yeah, now now it's this sort of taken on this kind of other strange thing to do with the mm. relationship with my dad. Mm. But yeah, they've always been there. And uh, I I saw Paul McCartney at Glastonbury, and we'll probably get into this properly sure. uh, uh, a little bit later on. But um, I cried about four times, mm. and I didn't. And it took me by surprise. I knew I was going to mm. love it, mm. um, and also like having been primed by watching Get Back like three yeah, t- yeah. three times through, and just you know. Um, but I, it really sort of overwhelmed me with how these songs are absolutely a part of my life. You know, when you, mm. when you go, when people go mad over live bands, it's not about the band, it's about their own life. It's about what it, you know, pulls up in their own yeah. life. And it was just absolutely loads of it, you know. It was, mm. Yeah, so I like them. It's yeah. funny the ones that sort of creep up on you like that because when I saw Paul, the last time I saw him in 2018, I've seen him before and I've had like an incredible live experience and it's, you know, yeah. been all the fireworks you want, but it didn't really hit me emotionally until I saw it with my brother and sister in 2018. Right. And the songs that really got to me were not really, you know, definitely not the ones you would expect. They weren't even particularly moving songs. But All My Loving, mm. oh my goodness. Yeah. I was just, I, I didn't even sort of notice. I sort of went, oh, I'm, I am, aren't I? I'm in floods of tears. <laughs> What's happening? But yeah, it's strange that it's like part of your soul, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, that's you know, for our, for our generation, I know loosely saying our generation, mm-hmm. um, I presume you're roughly the same age as me. But they've the degree to which they've always been there. There's no point, you know. I can't remember the first time I heard them because that's ludicrous. Yeah. The first mm. time I heard them will have been before I started forming memories. Yeah. You know, I remember love. I really loved Octopus's Garden as a kid, mm. um, and I partly know that because my dad always goes, "You used to really love this when you were a kid," you know. Um, but yeah, they've they've and then I've been in I've been in bands since I've like longer than I've been doing stand up and yeah. um, uh, since I was a kid really and um, but punk bands and mm. sort of uh, and I've recently tried to uh, tried to become <laughs> move from being a punk guitarist to becoming a musician um, <laughs> and so I did a show at the Fringe in 2019 called Andrew O'Neill unironically sings some songs they like mm-hmm. the idea was like I wasn't hiding behind comedy I wasn't you know but also not. You know, without a band that you can sort of turn around and tut at the drummer. Mm-hmm. So, so I've been playing. Uh, you know, sort of, and and then that means kind of inhabiting these songs. Um, and you got to hide your love away. Is the first one I did. Um, nice, because help is my. That's the mm-hmm. help is my is my anchor. Like the film Help. Mm. Yeah, I absolutely love it. Really? Yeah, I wow. love it. Do you guys not? Is this I co- mean, a controversial opinion or an unusual opinion? I I think it is. I I find it um, it drags a bit. <laughs> yeah, but okay. I mean, I, yeah. I mean, no, I, love, I can see that. It, I, I mean, I, Hard Day's Night was so entertaining. I, I think you can feel how Help is a bit flawed, and yeah. it's just kind of the, yeah, yeah. It's the same thing going over. Yeah, and the th- the thing with Help as well is it starts so well, and you're just like, oh mm. God, I just hope it carries on like this. With uh, we're all the, all in the house together. Yeah, and it just feels like it never quite lives up to that amazing promise. I can you see know. that. I mean, okay. I'm so, now. Now I'm going, have I? I've got, I've got a film studies degree. And I'm really, you know, have I, have I? Have I put it through the test? Um, and the last time, the last time I watched it, I watched it with my niece. Yeah. Um, and she really, really liked it. And right. then kind of went, oh, they're my favourite band. Yeah. Um, and I mean, it's my. It's I pref- that period. Of, you know, help rubber soul revolver. Yeah. Those mm-hmm. those three are my. My mm. favourites, and not necessarily, I mean, favourites and best as a whole yeah. thing. But, but I mean, the film, I think the film's properly funny. Mm. 
I think there's tons of lines in it. Two lagers and lime and two lagers and lime. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's an absolute banger. The yeah. whole, um, the bit at the end where John's going superintended. <laughs> that, that, you know, and I think, I think they're really, they're incredibly good comic actors. Yeah. And mm. all of them could have, you know, each one of them could have done that. And I think, yeah. it's, and it's, it's incredibly well written for their strengths. And it just, you know, I, th- I was probably about 10 when I first saw it. And it just, it fills me with joy. And I love all of the songs in it. And mm. so, so that's, that's generally sort of my go-to album. And the, you know, the, you got to hide your love away with, and, you know, Eleanor Bronze sat there and all that sort of, you know. Mm. I mean, it's also, let's, it's problematic. There is that. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I really love the Tell Under Wayne Chiang. It's my favourite Doctor Who story. <laughs> Have you thought about it recently? Oh, yeah, no, that is a point. Yeah. <laughs> And I think as well, the songs on Help sometimes get slightly overlooked because Help is sort of often seen as being not the best Beatles album, which yeah. still means it's amazing because it's still a Beatles album. Mm. But, you know, like stuff like The Night Before or stuff. Is, Absolutely. It's just a brilliant song, but it, I think that does get overlooked unfairly. And I Need You. Mm. Yeah, I love that. I, yeah. bought, I recently bought a volume pedal in order to really? play. Sounds like a wild of it. But yeah, and I think, because it's, for me, that's the start of them kind of detaching from their influences and the covers and the 50s mm. rock and roll mm. thing. And then it's that weird thing where sort of the Beatles for sale is so full of covers because mm. they're yeah. obviously sort of, sort of chucked out. Yeah, yeah. It feels like help, you know, they go, right, this is, this is who we are. And they, mm. it feels, I think you start to, with help, you start to feel they're different personalities more in their songwriting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're slightly pulling away from each other and that sort of thing. And, it, um, and I've, I've always sort of thought that Early Beatles are like a retro band. Mm. Middle Beatles are like a contemporary band, and then the third phase where is where they're sort of fu- crazy futuristic, yeah, you know. Yeah, but yeah. I love, and I think the sound on that album is astonishing. I think like, the sound of Help when it just mm. comes, you know, the f- sort of full spectrum production just kind of mm. kicks in. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing. Why, why in particular the song Help? Then why is that such a so important to you, and do you get anything from playing it live? Like, what what kind of meanings do you get from it? Um, it's that. So, what, when I do that one, I get because because you, it's you know you, you can't really sing it on your own because because mm. yeah. <laughs> you know because the harmonies are so dense in it. Mm, yeah. So I get the crowd to sing it, but I, but I just say whichever one of them you'd normally pick, do that. Mm. It's go one, two, three, four, and kick into it, and it jumps. It's really cool when it just that kind of jumps mm. out of the audience. And I like the slight tension between the upbeat feeling it and and John mm. going. I'm actually not that happy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, kind of. Actually, this this whole experience hasn't been yeah. quite the uh, quite the sort of joyful circus. Yeah, I think you know this is probably quite a controversial thing to say about such a well known, well loved song, but I'm not sure the arrangement of it. I'm that I think it's a better song than the arrangement of it. I think if it was done in a less sort of jaunty rock and rolly way, then that more sort of literal yeah. cry for help would be. A bit. I mean, I like. There's loads and loads of covers of them over the year, and they're yeah. all a li- little bit more melodramatic and a bit slower. Mm. And I kind of think that suits the I re- content. I the really love. I really love that descending lead that George does, which apparently he hated playing. <laughs> but it's, a, it's an A chord. Bound, it's doing it. Oh, that. Well, the yeah. bound, bound, bound is is, is yeah. the bass, and then yeah, yeah. you do it. You have to sort of do that descending mm. thing mm. with the with the chords. But they do no 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 do no 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 do no no. Yeah, no, yeah. I know. Yeah, I. I love it, and and then I sort of found like the early stuff. I you know it was it was always around, and I didn't like it that much when I was a kid. And having revisited it, that's like my least favorite era. And then so Sgt. Pepper was my, is my dad's favorite album, and mm-hmm. he's just like you know, and he's 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 a sort of 
not I wouldn't say obsessed with it because he's not that into music. So it's just the one he always had on. Right. And then when it came out on CD, he was like, "This is the best it's ever sounded," which mm. is hilariously categorically wrong. Because <laughs> um, when I first when I first stuck that on on, on vinyl. My then partner's mum gave her an original pressing of it. Yeah. But the first time I sat down with Sgt. Pepper on vinyl, mm. I just I heard so much I hadn't heard before. Mm. Mm. And possibly it's the experience of actually sitting down and listening to it. Because also with, with Sgt. Pepper, I've heard it too much. Mm. Mm-hmm. I find it very difficult to engage with it in that way. It's, 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 it's you know, all the other ones, I think there's a, there's a sort of freshness to it. But listening to how A Day in the Life is entirely tied together by the bass line, mm. how much work Paul is doing in yeah, that arrangement. Yeah. And I mean, I think we've chatted about this before. I think Day in the Life is so interesting because of the two songs within Day in the Life, Paul's and John's. Yeah. And it, it shouldn't work. Yeah, it shouldn't mm. work. But there's so much interplay between those sections. The fact that the song starts at the halftime and then Ringo takes it into the double time for Paul's got out of bed bit. Yeah. And then the last Lennon verse is still in double time. Yeah. So mm-hmm. it's like there's yeah. an echo of Paul's bit. You know, I think it's something so subliminal. Yeah. So totally. ties the song together. Yeah, yeah. And then mm-hmm. there, there, there are parts where you just realise the bass is sort of still doing a very similar thing to what it was doing in the previous section. Yes. Going, okay, yeah. this is it. It's like this sort of this kind of scaffold in it. So my dad had these um these Beatles um like what he would call photostats of Beatles songs. Mm. And they were all, I didn't realise at the time, but they're all simplified versions. Right. So they're just the sort of major and minor chords and not oh, the kind of yeah, seventh yeah. and diminished and, and all these yeah, kind yeah, of wonderful yeah, yeah, things. Yeah, yeah. So actually learning, learning, you know, getting the proper book and learning A Day in the Life and yeah. going, oh, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. why it sounds like that. Yeah. Oh, okay. And also just the constant frustration of, I'm going to learn a new Beatles song. <laughs> right. I've, okay, I've got to go right over there. <laughs> but then four years ago I did... Um, a big bike ride. I cycled the the NC five hundred, the North Coast five hundred, around the top of Scotland, mm-hmm. so Inverness, round anti clockwise. One of the best things I've ever done. And I wild camps and stuff. It was, it was, mm-hmm. it was brilliant. Mm-hmm. It's four years ago this month, and I I've got ADHD like every other comic, mm-hmm. and I like I kept going. The next sound I'm in, I'll get some headphones and I'll listen to some music, mm-hmm. and then I kept forgetting, and then I kept forgetting, and I didn't have headphones for the whole thing, right? Purely because I was thinking so much about that hill and where am I going to sleep and that, mm-hmm. and then on the you know so I'm just getting food and that sort of thing, so I didn't have headphones at all, so I was in my head for two weeks, which mm-hmm. is quite an interesting experience, and then. <laughs> um, I got, so it was like my last day, it wasn't going to be my last day, but um, I woke up, I woke up, um, <laughs> my gas canister had run out, so I so I had like a lukewarm cup of tea and couldn't make, and had like kind of cold porridge. I went up this incredibly steep hill, which I basically had to walk up, and it took me half the day to walk up. I only had Skittles to eat. Which is, <laughs> like, I got to the top and there's a bloke in a, in a bike going, oh, so have you, have you come the other way? Oh, you do the thing, yeah. He's going, are you supported? Because people do it where they, um, they stay in a hotel and people bring them food. No, no, no I'm not supported. And then I got to Bilach Nabal, the part of the cattle, which is one mm. of the most beautiful parts of the whole country. And it's this, it's this sort of, canyon so you go up this massive hill and then you get to the the top and and it's it's just incredible absolutely and then you zigzag down and I thought, i've got to listen to something and I, I just so i just and i'd not really done this before but i just put i put sergeant pepper on and mm. i don't know it's probably the first time i'd listened to it in about five years mm. Mm. and i guess i just needed so at the end of this ride i'd needed something kind of like comfort food and so yeah on the way down and then into the sort of valley and on the rest of the day i just like had it coming out of my pocket oh amazing <laughs> and it was and i just i don't know it was it was it's the first time i've ever reached for it in that way yeah 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 but it's clearly sort of you know, something there. 
my dad is um, 77. He saw the Beatles twice. Wow. Mm. Um, in Hong Kong and in Singapore. So he was in the Navy. Oh, wow. He was in the Navy in the wow. 60s. I think he was 16. He was, he was younger than them. So this is presumably towards the end of their touring days. Yeah, it would have been. It would have. Yeah, when they were doing the kind of yeah, the, yeah. The, going out to the far east and suddenly go, oh god, we got this massive market out there, yeah. um, but our amps still aren't loud enough. Yeah, and he, and you know, he always told the story that his band played in Singapore. His pan, his band played the venue the night after the Beatles. Wow. Oh, <laughs> and my dad's, but my dad's had dementia now for about ten years, and you know, we bit by bit we're losing him. Mm. And about five years ago, he said. Uh, yeah, I met him, of course. <laughs> and and okay, he's going. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, and you know, and John's like, yeah, good, good luck with this crowd. And my mum's behind him, just shaking her head, going, <laughs> "This is this is new." And I just, I absolutely love the fact that my dad now lives in a world in which he met them, yeah, right? And mm. and the stories expanded bit by bit. Yeah. So I was like, so who was? Because originally it was only two of them that sat with him, and then it was all four. <laughs> sat with my dad um, and, and he's I said, so who was your favourite oh I think George right okay that's interesting, that's interesting. Um, so yeah so there's there's that kind of incredible and his his sister Maureen who lived in Wolverhampton younger than him has all of their autographs from wow. seeing them at, at, like several times at Wolverhampton Town Hall amazing all on the same bit of paper yeah yeah, there yeah. and my cousin my cousin was promised it when he was 18 and he's now 50. <laughs> <laughs> he still yeah. hasn't got it. Fair play. That's great. So, I mean, to go back to Glastonbury then, mm. so a lot of this stuff was obviously in your head when you're watching Paul. And so what were the what were the emotional moments? What were the kind of the points where it, it kind of hit you? you? You said you cried four, four times. Yeah, I'm trying to remember which they were. I mean, one of them was when I, ha- I genuinely, I missed the encore because I had to run and do my stand-up set. Right. Ah. Which was quite difficult. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To be honest, and I was also, I was with my uh, my best friend, Mark, who's the bass player in my band, mm-hmm. and we've bonded over them. And, mm-hmm. you know, we, also, we, we had also both watched Get Back just again and again and again. Mm-hmm. I don't know, to be honest, I, I, I think it was just sort of spontaneous. I'm not sure it was like, oh God, this one, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, I think when he when he dedicated for the benefit of Mr. Kite to John, mm. I sort of and, and you know when when whenever the pictures of John behind him, and mm. I was just thinking about their relationship, that definitely did it. Um, uh, yeah, I, to be yeah, I, I I think it was I just kept going, oh shit, I'm sort of you know. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, it was it was part of it just obviously seeing the fact you know he's an eighty year old man and his, his you know he's still, he can still do it, but that his kind of frailty. And the fact that he was still so amazing. It felt part, like, yeah, it, was it did feel like I'd caught the very end of something, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And it's that weird, and also I suppose I was thinking about my dad's mortality, you know, being in touch, being in touch with with, with that part of, of my dad. Yeah, I'm mm-hmm. sure it must have been that. At the mm-hmm. time, I was I was surprised. I stayed sober for it as well, um, mm-hmm. despite it being Glastonbury. Um, <laughs> I did the same for The Who a few years ago as well. It's like, I want to see The Who straight. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, yeah, it, I, I don't know. It, it must have been just this connection with my dad, seeing him quite far. And just, go, like... It's 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 him, and he was wearing you know he was wearing a Beatles suit and Beatles boots, yeah. and you know and it's that kind of yeah, half the bass. Yeah, yeah. It was it was overwhelming, and it sounded so good. We yeah. got quite mm. near the front and middle to try and you know, I suppose it's something I never thought I'd get to see. Mm. I mean, how many times have you guys seen Paul doing stuff? Um, I've only ever seen him play twice. Once in 2010, and right. once in 2018, and then couldn't get tickets to Glastonbury this year. Yeah, yeah. 2010 definitely felt like this is the very last 
time that he's going to be able to actually do it properly. <laughs> yeah. Because um, yeah. it was kind of going, but then, you know, there it is different seeing him te- another 10 years later because there's a fragility to it. Yeah. And there is something, he, he looks more mortal. <laughs> it feels um, precious. It feels, yeah. you know, it and feels... Every time feels like maybe the last time. Yeah, um, definitely. Um, <laughs> and of course, when he said, uh, and, you know, now I've got a I've got a special guest. It's Ringo, it's Ringo. No, yeah. no, no, it's, it's <laughs> yeah, Dave Grohl. Okay. Yeah. And then, but then yeah. I think that that really moved me as well. Yeah, yeah. Dave, you know, Dave Grohl being there and just this, like, when they're hugging each other going, oh, fuck, they've clearly mm. had a conversation. He ke- yeah. clearly rang Dave up and went, do you want to talk yeah. about losing a friend? Mm. You mm. know, there was that element to it. Yeah. Dave Grohl messed up the solo bit at the end of the, you know, the <laughs> thing. Though. But, you know, we don't, we don't hold it yeah. against him. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah. but I definitely feel that with, because like, my dad died when he, when he was 73 and you, you just have that feeling like, God, Paul's 80 and yeah. that's all that bonus time and he's yeah. still doing it. You yeah. know, I found, you know, you know, I, I found that just watching it on on telly, I just found it really moving. Really, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like my my other favorite band is uh, is Metallica. Mm. And I, you know, and I unapologetically love Metallica. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they get worse each time I see them. <laughs> yeah. No, really. <laughs> I mean, I first, you know, I first saw them in '96, which is you know right, seven yeah. years after their peak. Anyway, mm. um, seeing any of these kind of legacy bands, you sort of yeah. go, well, this isn't going to be. But there was. There was there was something in the arrangement, and there was something in just yeah, like fuck this cat. This, this I feel lucky to catch something like this, mm, you know. Mm. So talking of Metallica, then because you mentioned because um, you're obviously a big metal fan, yeah. Uh, and you mentioned before we started recording that kind of all metal musicians are into the Beatles. Absolutely, it, definitely. So, yeah. so how did that work for you? Kind of, did you kind of uh, you know listening to a lot of Beatles and then got into metal? And did they exist side by side, or were you did you become a metalhead? When like, I was getting into metal was probably the point at which I was listening to the Beatles the least. Mm, mm. You know, um, but you know, an awful an awful lot of it is to do with my dad. Cranking, cranking up the stuff. I mean, mm-hmm. he, I remember he got. I can't remember which record it was because I was too young to pay attention. But he, he borrowed one of the, the Beatles LPs from the library, and he put it on. And my mum was out, and he put it on so loud, two vases smashed. <laughs> uh, not just from the not son, just from the sonic, mm-hmm. you know. But but and that thing of you know, and him cranking up and cranking up Helter Skelter. Yeah. And I loved I loved guitars, and I was my favorite when I was a kid. My favorite band was Queen. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And you know, I just loved guitars, and I, you know, and and that was so it was it was there, and it's part of the DNA, and part mm. of that thing of just that thing of turning it up. Yeah. Mm. And then when I was researching my book, um, finding the the link between like sort of amplification. I mean, my my theory about the Beatles is if they'd if they'd um, if they'd known about Marshall amps. Yeah. Mm. They we might have had them till the eighties. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, definitely. The infrastructure wasn't right for them playing live. Like no, 100%, you know. and there's and there's something. So so I think the Who, I think sixty five. I think the Who got their Marshall amps. Or it may it may have been before. Mm. So I think sixty maybe mm. sixty four was when um, uh, when Pete Townsend got his Marshall. Yeah. Um, and so right, if if they if if that had worked, and there's something when you're watching Get Back and just going this. Like, but I think that's the good thing about Get Back is that they're a Fender twin band. They are. Oh, they no, really no, the are. Sa- no, no, don't get me wrong. The sound, the sound, <laughs> yeah. is 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 absolutely mm. right for them. Yeah. But when they're, t- you know, when they were one year away from all playing fifty nine SLPs. And- <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and and they, 
it feels like they were behind everybody else with technology. Mm. I mean, the mm. fact that they're la- you know they're, they're mm. lashing to to eight tracks together or whatever yeah. they were doing, you know, and that kind yeah. of. And then Hendrix is building his own world class studio at the same time. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. It it really felt like, but just purely in terms of them playing live, if they'd had the infrastructure, if they'd mm. had the tech behind them, if they'd had people who knew what they were doing, yeah, going yeah. well, well, if you can't hear yourselves, <laughs> yeah, yeah, here, you can now hear yourselves. I th- um, I, I think because I, I was really. Thinking about this a lot, watching Get Back because a one of the great interesting things obviously there's no guitar pedals knocking yep. about obviously which does well uh, George has his wah pedal oh yeah, yeah yeah right yeah yeah you're right um, but the thing is because they're playing you know just through quite clean amps but they are getting quite they're gritty gainy, but and they're gainy not but, yeah. but like there's a lovely bit where you know John's saying when they start and Get Back and he's he's doing that thing where he's slapping yeah, the strings yeah. and he's saying mm. you know, start quietly start quietly you know. So they've got that lovely dynamic quality Absolutely. when they're playing and get back. And what I really loved was Paul McCartney at Glastonbury when they were doing Get Back. He sort of went like this to the drummer, like pat it, like play it a bit quieter. And it was yeah. like, oh, that was such a lovely yeah. link, you know. Yeah, yeah. But I think that is the Beatles played together so dynamically. I think yeah. so. I do think with the Marshalls, I think some of that subtlety might have got lost. But yeah, yeah you, you, you <laughs> could absolutely be right. And also, if you listen to some of those very late, you know, very late, um, like the sh- you know, listening to the tracks from Shea Stadium. If that's a band that can't hear each other or can't hear yeah. what they're playing, that yeah. is almost magic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, that's there's some sorcery there. It's, the it's tuning incredible. on it is absolutely extraordinary. I mean, I don't know if they've been sort of tinkered with. Yeah, but Paul's singing on those shades. I mean, I don't really know why they released that album apart from like an interesting kind of. I can't. Well, I there was something left that they hadn't put out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it's interesting. Like those things were available to them. Like, they did use fuzz boxes on, mm. you know, things like the White Album. And Paul's playing like fuzz bass on as far on back as like Rubber, rubber Salt. salt. Yeah. yeah. But mm. I think yeah, maybe they just they've never been gimmicky, I suppose. Yeah. And that yeah, stuff right. would have been. Well, I don't know. A lot of the Magic Alex stuff is obviously. Yeah, yeah. Well, maybe that's why. Maybe that's why they were like. That's why they never ended up using it. Associated (laughs) anything like that with a dickhead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) Yeah. This bass is just never going to work. But I, I, you know, I find that I find that really, you know, the way the the Pete Townsend's, you know, he gets his Marshalls and then he starts and then it's you know starts to experiment with distortion and Mm. and uh, Dave Davis is trying to you know trying to get his little El Pico amp to distort so he slashes it with a razor Mm. blade and that sort of thing and they're kind of really pushing that and then you get to that amazing bit where Paul reads um I I read the bit in my Mm. book about Mm -hmm. Paul so this is my history of heavy metal. Paul read in Melody Maker Pete Townsend talking about I Can See for Miles as mm. the heaviest song they've ever written. Mm. And having and he didn't know what song he was referring to, which is possibly f- for the best. Because yeah, I, yeah. I mean, it's a great song, but it's not as I heavy. I wouldn't as, say it's that heavy. It's yeah. not as heavy as my generation, no, for example. No way. No. But then he's like, right, well, let's see. You know, and it's that thing where you know the, comp- the competition he had with, with, with John was clearly a little bit mm. sort of... Outfacing as well, right? Yeah, we'll see, yeah. you know, and then and then you get Helter Skelter, which exactly. is yeah. But and that's all sorts. Of, I mean, that's presumably the, the appeal for you of metal as well. Is for me, it's the idea that it's about it's extreme music, really, yeah. isn't it? It's yeah. about pushing it as hard as you can go, getting as loud as you can, fast as you can, and, and dynamic, and then emotional mm. extremity mm. as well. Yeah, there's, yeah. there's like particularly bands say like Converge, mm-hmm. um, where there's something. Incredibly, like it's it's brutal to to mm. to, you know, to the untrained ear, but it's also there's so much soul mm. in that in that lyric. And with death metal, is over is overlooked in terms of its atmosphere. And actually, mm-hmm. it's catchy. I mean, Cannibal Corpse are a very catchy band. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And yeah, that that but but when it's ground, particularly when it's grounded in the kind of musicality, mm. which then, I mean, you know, so yeah, Lemmy was Lemmy was a massive Beatles fan. The, yeah, the, yeah Black mm. I mean, surely anybody who's playing in a band in the late sixties has got to be <laughs> yeah, a, a massive. Right. Yeah. Yeah, Hendrix. I mean, he, you know, I heard you talking uh, on a previous podcast about um, covers. You mm. guys heard Hendrix's cover of Day Tripper. Mm. Yes, mm. It's, uh, they're live at the BBC. Yeah, yeah. Session. yeah, 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 amazing. It's yeah. gorgeous. Yeah, yeah. 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 And it really rocks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it really rocks. And 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 it's and they're clearly really having fun with it. The the, the harmonies sound really, you know, and you're yeah. out of your mind. Yeah. It's really and they sort of go slightly slightly minor key with it. Yeah, it's but that's what I think. It's just, it's just that visceral nature of of rock, really, and, and metal is that you know like um, Helter Skelter is like one chord. So how can mm. you get one chord to have that much impact? Yeah. So it's about like. How can we make this sound fucking massive? You yeah, know, yeah. and it's that's the thing when because you know you think you've kind of heard everything sometimes with metal. And then you think, yeah, oh my god, that's that. How is this really surprising and visceral? Yeah, you know, I'm really mm. into that. I don't know if you heard the Chat Pile album. <laughs> no, it's really good. It's called God's Country, and it's just right. it just like it completely knocked me out because it's just so. I mean, some of it sounds like corn. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, it's yeah. like so heavy, so visceral, so bleak. And and it's like, in okay, 2022, this, how yeah. am I still being surprised by that? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I mean, another Beatles one as well is like the Sgt. Pepper reprise. It's like, how mm. does Ringo sound so massive at the end of that? You're just playing 4 4 beat. Yeah. But it just like blows out the speakers. Yeah. It one of the great break beats. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, I used to love that. I've ripped my mum's uh, version of Sgt. Pepper to absolute shreds trying to. Just make that work. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. yeah. 20 years ago. Oh, that's so good. The experience of growing up and, you know, and my dad pushing things. The first, you know, when I bought Queen's Innuendo, he mm-hmm. turned the car stereo up as loud as it would go. <laughs> right, yeah. 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 All right, this is the thing. This is, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, but they're, and then their influence on, on, their influence on metal is huge. But what's, what I find quite interesting is that um, the sound of metal is mm. is so much blues so much more stones mm. almost than mm. than Beatles you know yeah. the the template set by Black Sabbath but i think just all of those bands in the in the 60s and 70s were listening to them you know, Mo, you know Lemmy is a massive Beatles fan Ozzy was a massive Beatles fan they were all just really into it mm. and and the you know particularly the 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 back end of the the Beatles catalog the experimentation the sonic experimentation the melodic experimentation and just mm. kind of pushing things and and you know i think without that era it's interesting, that isn't it? So, what if the Beatles if the Beatles were split up in '65? What would their influence have been? Mm. Mm. Would it just have been on people writing their own stuff on a slightly on a more Epstein arrangement? Would it have been that? You know, would would it? I don't know. I find that sort of there would probably be even more kind of copycats around. Yeah, than mm. there would have been. Yeah, you'd when end they up sort with of British invasion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and prove that actually it wasn't just the haircuts that yeah. people were really into. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, but, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, totally. But it's interesting because Paul is such a kind of musical magpie probably more than any of the others but metal even though he kind of arguably pioneered it with yeah. that with Hell's Skelter yeah. mm. he never really comes back to heavy music again yeah. whereas John's sort of Beware My Love is with John Bonham this gets pretty heavy I mean it's a bit silly yeah <laughs> but, but it's, it's probably for the better I mean he never yeah. went into sort of full hair metal no, right, mode God when he no. absolutely has the chops to do yeah, it when yeah. everyone's singing you know Two octaves of Bob yeah, that's very true. Yeah, his, <laughs> yeah. I'm thinking of, I'd never previously thought about his voice and that yeah. that stuff. But then I wonder if because metal was so in the 80s, 
and what is classified as metal in the eighties is so much sort of broader. Mm. Yeah, when it pop 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 that's of, not really yeah. metal, but but I wonder if there's a if there's a push factor. It's <laughs> mm. <laughs> more than more than a pull factor when it comes mm. to that stuff. But yeah, John's sort of uh, solo experimental stuff is you know, and obviously with the influence of, of Yoko's noise, essentially you know, pioneering noise stuff, pushing him mm. in, in that sort of that mm. direction. <laughs> Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I just listened to Kenneth Womack's John Lennon 1980. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and Which I found absolutely fascinating and I'm really interested in him, but I don't like that album at all and I don't mm, like that no. sort of... There's, yeah, he was. He, he, I mean, he he had a darkness to him that mm. you wonder if he was still around, what would he be? Yeah. Who would he be collaborating? Mm. What would he be doing? Mm. Yeah. Mm. I mean, there's not much darkness on Double Fantasy. There isn't. There isn't. But speaking of darkness, we met up in Edinburgh in August and had quite a drunken conversation yeah, about uh, Satanism, yeah. among other things. But you know, the, the Beatles and the occult. Is there much to chat about there with Alistair Crowley's on the? There's a, there's cover a bit, of but it's, it's yeah. So I think it's it's a very similar thing to um, the story of Black Sabbath actually, where mm. they were very interested in in spiritualism and of you know you know also kind of uh, going off and doing transcendental medita- meditation mm. and getting mm. really into it and having that wonderful break where they sort of you know rediscovered themselves and Ringo hated it and mm. um, and again I think it's that thing of John's the slight darkness to his character. Mm. You know, being drawn towards Crowley, being drawn towards okay, yeah, but what else is there? Where's mm, the you know? Mm, mm. Um, but there's absolutely no evidence that he went for it, right? Yeah, um, and and you know, the thing thing about Sabbath was they 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 got into it very briefly. Yeah, uh, Geezer Butler reckons. I mean, he now says he didn't. Oh, we didn't really. I had the books, but I, I didn't do it. Yeah. Mm. Oh, no, I think you did. <laughs> but they got, but they got shit scared, and you yeah, know, Mick Jagger yeah. got shit scared uh-huh. when he was dabbling with, uh, hanging out with Kenneth Anger. Mm. You know, the Stones got scared off by it. Um, but I, you know, my part of my getting into magic was. Who's that, Dad? Mm. Oh, that's mm. Alistair Crowley. Who's mm. Alistair Crowley? Mm. Oh, he's the wickedest man in the world. Okay, <laughs> going to the library and getting a book on him. And, yeah. um, but that's that thing where the, you know the. I think one of the one of the big influences of 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 them in the towards the end of the sixties is getting into avant garde stuff, whether it's occultism or whether it's you know avant garde music and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And Paul talks about that thing of having his aerial up. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But it's how big they were that then just broadcast that 
mm. far and wide. Mm. You know, they were the they were this kind of conduit for other people getting into that stuff. Yeah. And the the magical revival in in the in the late seventies. You know, I, I do wonder you, if you remove Crowley from that cover. Mm. How much, you know, because it's got to be one of the biggest. I mean, is it the biggest selling album? I don't know about their sales. Oh, well, so he's, so the, he's on the so, so, so Crowley is at right, the back. Oh, oh, sorry, so Crowley, <laughs> so yeah, so apologies, listener. Crowley's on the Alistair Crowley, who's uh, uh, the probably the most important occultist uh, of, of the 20th century. Um, he synthesized a lot of disparate occult practices uh, and then he pushed it forward with his own stuff and mm. he was a self-publicist and, you know, he, in the, sort of around the 20s and 30s, he was, he was you know, very famous, famous as being the wickedest man in the world. And he was also an awful man, mm. um, right. but, but but incredibly clever and his, his tarot deck is, 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 is this wonderful distillation of all his knowledge and his, his book 777 is uh, where he, this massive table of correspondences where he synthesizes all world religions all these different mm. uh, traditions. It's it, you know he was re- he really knew his stuff, yeah. but yeah, John wanted him on the. Um, he got interested. Right, in it. Yeah. But I think there's it's like there's, with, there's with, another Crowley thing with which is you know just one slightly. Paul is dead adjacent, which is 1947. Uh, he Crowley died in 1947, yeah. and the, it was it was 20 years ago today in 67. Oh, that's oh, nice. Well. But you know, but who knows. That's interesting. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't spot that one. Yeah. It's a similar thing as well with David Bowie mm-hmm. and Station to Station with his Kabbalah stuff. Right. Mm-hmm. And he was into, you know, and I think Bowie basically read three books mm. um, and, and had a little occult phase. But now you get these books saying, oh, the influence of mm. the occult on rock and roll. Look at what Bowie was doing. Yeah. yeah. For a, for a, bat, for a yeah. bit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, he spoke to someone at the party about it once. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly. It, it is yeah. that thing. And I, mean, I like that's what the pepper cover is, is just this kind of magpie thing of little influences here, there, yeah. and everywhere, isn't yeah. it? You know, and it's, yeah, it's not about. But there's they, something about they that. Weren't Satanists. Let's no, no. <laughs> there's something about that kind of going, you know. L- this this is what we're into. It's not it's yeah. not it's not just Chuck Berry and you mm, know it's, mm, it's mm. the other Beatles influences. Um, uh, Ringo's grandmother was known as a, a, a voodoo queen, oh, yes, yeah, yeah. and and told him that he couldn't be left-handed because mm. it was evil. Yeah. And that's why Ringo plays the way. That's why Ringo plays with a right-handed yeah. uh, drum yeah. setup. Yeah. And is uh, one of the most recognisable and original dramas ever. So yeah. Thanks very much. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. And then there's the, obviously the kind of LSD. Arguably, I mean, it's all probably back engineered, but you, you can you, there's 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 an awful lot to read in to, mm, <laughs> to mm. the end of their the end of their kind of era with their dabblings with the psychedelics and that sort of thing. How does the sort of sixties leery psychedelic boom fit into the sort of occult? Did they overlap? In yeah, the totally. 60s? Yeah, um, I mean, and but it 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 had its. Uh, kind of peak in the seventies, right? So the 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 explosion of things like Wicca and and you know and just like you know occultism and and the supernatural in in popular culture in the seventies, mm. which seeded into our <laughs> our childhoods in the eighties. Mm, mm. yeah. yeah, that was it was absolutely huge, and then it kind of disappeared, went a little bit underground in the eighties, and th- and now we are currently having the biggest revival of occultism ever. Mm, um, right. But the yeah the counterculture. That sort of that, that we exploded into the mainstream through things like the Beatles. Yeah, um, was I think it kind of it went up and then it seeded and then in the seventies you have this this huge kind of uh, uh, this massive occult renaissance mm. and then it splits a little bit into new age and like it always does. Yeah, kind of crystals mm. and, and then you know and then it seeds into things like um, new age travelers, free parties, mm. um, all that mm. you know kind of Stonehenge festivals and and all that stuff and then you end up. Um, I think it's 1984, Battle of the Beanfield, mm-hmm. where the 
the the the British state just started going. We can't have this. People, mm. you know, we can't allow people to live like this. And then you know the Battle of the Beanfield, where they just destroyed the, <laughs> everyone's yeah. homes, and then you know the, the the legislation that kind of kicked in afterwards. But mm. yeah, it was a, it was a huge thing. And I always find it fascinating that the, the the Beatles being as part of the counterculture as they are, and then also being knighted and yeah, whatever yeah. you know, mm. very much establishment. Yeah, mm. yeah. Mm. I find that stuff. Yeah, I find it a, a little bit. Awkward, I suppose. <laughs> but it's you know, but that's that's as soon as something gets big enough, it becomes. Yeah. Capitalism goes nom nom nom. Thank yeah. you very much. We'll <laughs> yeah. have you know, we'll have some of that. Yeah. So well, we haven't really touched on comedy. I mean, so oh, yeah. How how did you get into stand up, and how did that align itself with music? Um. The biggest way, so I got into it because I was like, comedy was my big obsession when I was a kid, mm. um, which is probably why help was my focus because yeah. you know, so it was the it was the Beatles doing comedy, um, um, but I liked everything. So like whether it was like Eddie Izzard, Harry Hill, Bill Bailey, or Bobby Davro, mm. <laughs> you know, sort of like um, Russ Abbott, whatever it was, I was I was into it, and then I wanted to be a sketch comic. Because I love Monty Python, I wanted to be Monty Python, and then I saw Eddie Izzard, um, who was uh, at that point identifying as a transvestite, and I came out as a transvestite mm-hmm. uh, before I identified as non-binary. And then, but Izzard was doing stand-up like, sketch comedy as stand-up, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I went, "Oh, good, that, that, I'll, I'll do that." But then, in terms of my approach to comedy, having been in bands since I was, you know, a, a teenager. And underground bands, heavy bands, yeah. bands, you know, like heavy hardcore and metal bands. Mm. My approach to stand-up has always been, I want to be the stand-up I'd like to watch on stage. Mm. And and my preference for comedy now is, is much more, you know, the weirder the better, basically. Um, or the more, you know, like funny too. Mm. Yeah, Simon Munnery, end of yeah. things. Yeah. Um, and so so I've always had that that thing of, I want to be... The comedian I want to watch on stage, and I want to kind of sort of essentially plug a gap. So, so I've, I've, but I also kind of had quite wide ranging interests, mm. and I couldn't decide whether I wanted to be more like sort of Bill Hicks or you know, mm. yeah. uh, or so now I, I do all of it. I do all of my mm. different influence, comedy influences in in one thing. Mm. Um, so that, but that was, and it's been my I, when I met um, Converge and interviewed them, mm. I was like, this might sound weird, but you're a big influence on the way I do comedy. Yeah, <laughs> because right. the way they've absolutely stuck to their guns, and they, they, yeah, they're a big band now. But what I found in my comedy career is that that's paid off mm. because mm. you know I've like, I mean, you know, I've worked with Neil Gaiman, and I'm like, you know, I like work with Alan Moore. I mean, Alan Moore's film, I'm in Good Omens, and it's because people like Neil mm. and 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 Alan go, oh, mm. I really like that because it's not what I do; it's not what you normally see, you know. Yeah. So, so, so I'm shit at networking, but when the, <laughs> but when the right people see what I do, they go, oh, I really like that. So, and it's it's and that comes from that really comes from punk and hardcore, from that the yeah. idea that you know I've I've never been in a band that. That have had any notion we might make a living off it, mm. Mm. yeah. And and I and I wouldn't want. I mean, I can't imagine the stress of doing. Yeah. <laughs> so hang on, we've got to make music and think about this paying our bills. What a horrible yeah. combination! Yeah. Um, and when I started doing comedy, I never really thought about it would be my job. Mm. I just thought I really want to do it. I thought I'd be good at it. Um, I went to some open mic comedy that was quite crap and went, well, I'm definitely funnier than that. <laughs> and that, okay, luckily I was. Um, so, yeah, so it's, it's, and then it, I don't know, and then, it, and then, you know, and I've been in bands since and it all sort of starts to feed back. And then I use, I did the metal show 
a few years ago, I was on a. I had a, a plan for the fringe that year. I was going to do a very pure stand-up show, just me in a microphone, mm. and mm. and using language and just doing the mm. you know yeah. pure. And then I was on a, a coach home from Le- from a gig in Leeds, and I went. I should do the history of heavy metal. I was like, oh, fuck, I've got to do it now. <laughs> and I've got to do it before anyone else does it. So I sketched yeah. out the idea for the show, c- came up with a few of the gags that are in it, and did two shows at the Fringe that year. Mm. But then that show took on its own life. So I ended up doing that show for about four years. Mm. Rather than that one year cycle, you know, sort of like, you know, preview Fringe yeah, tour, yeah. preview Fringe tour. Um, and then I added a backing band. So this is a band reprisal, this death metal band that I'm friends with. So I nicked the musicians from that. And we did that. I was like, oh, shh. And so you might imagine having played, like, you know, the opening riff to Black Sabbath on my own with a little backing track, but then do it Mm. with a full band. And that was was really cool. Wow. And then, yeah, those shows were beautiful. And then then I was like, right, I don't want to do this anymore. And so we sort of, but then I got this book deal. So I did this. So, Mm. So I wrote the book. And then we did it, toured it again as a backing for that. And then, and then I ended up doing a Kickstarter to film it. And mm. literally the video of the Kickstarter is, I don't want to do this show anymore. Please. <laughs> it's, been, it's been four years. Yeah. And yeah. we filmed it for, for we filmed it on DVD at the Camden Underworld. And that's, and that's absolutely banging. And then I'm like, right, no more thing. music. Just turn it. I don't want to have mm. to carry anything. <laughs> and yeah. yeah. Well, it must be quite, just, you know, when you get a whole band involved, it must be quite a daunting prospect because you're sort of like, well, we've got the overheads of a band in the yeah. entry fees oh, yeah, of yeah, a stand-up show. Mm. You know, yeah. how did you make it work? Um, did I make it work? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we, I mean, we did, you know, we did some really great, you know, sold merch and that sort of thing. Yeah. And I gave, I basically gave the bus, we'll split the, you know, did a good split so they were paid properly. Mm. Um, they, you know, their drummer has a van in a brilliant <laughs> cliche. Um, and that sort of, you know, so. Are you getting so, sort of metal fans? Uh, mostly or mostly comedy fans or is it so for that it's for that it's for that it's it was i mean i wrote so i wrote the show with my mum in mind so i was like if my mum can get all these references Mm. but then there's loads of other jokes in there as well Mm. um and i do a comparison when i'm talking when i'm when i'm demonstrating heavy i Mm. play a bit of you got to hide your love away and then i play helter skelter and then you imagine that with the band is Mm. you know it sort of kicks in but um, but what was what's great is a punchline that is a full band doing something. Yeah, yeah. so cool. That's great. You know, yeah. So uh, you know, talking about um, the jobs that Black Sabbath had. Uh, mm. You know, and, and just mm. and just the bow down <laughs> down as being the you know. Yeah, um, we'll put a link to that video in the YouTube. Yeah, yeah, yeah. fantastic. Yeah. Um, so it you know I mean yeah in terms of the logistics it's I mean I've I've I I did it I did it for the first time in a few years at Blue Dot and I did it on my own um, and I wasn't sure because you know you do something for so long the energy can kind of suck out of it mm. but it was really it was I, I upgraded my backing tracks because <laughs> I got good at using GarageBand oh, nice, for lockdown yeah. and that was really good fun yeah. um, and it worked well so I go oh maybe I will do it a little bit again yeah. um, but I always incorporate music into my shows pretty much right mm. I mean I like that I love the idea that. You, you're kind of doing the converge of stand-up. Yeah, that's great. It's like the there's that great Stuart Lee thing about the influence of Derek Bailey. Is it the experimental guitarist? Right. Do you know that story? No. He, he saw Derek Bailey play once, and he um, he accidentally hit the head of his guitar while he was playing. Right. And instead of sort of ignoring it, he just kept doing it. <laughs> and that's basically. <laughs> yeah. And that's like the, that's like the Stuart that's Lee. Perfect. Yeah. Stuart Lee comedy. Well, that's the, what it is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, kind of, the, yeah. the phrase. The phrase I've always. Sort of gone to with with what I how I approach stand up is the highest common denominator. Right, <laughs> right. So yeah. I do, I still do clubs and I really like doing comedy yeah. clubs yeah. and and what I like doing is doing weird comedy outsider art mm. to yeah. 
and and learning and it took me a while learning how to you know get straight audiences mm. on board with weirdness yeah. and it's already the way i present is already a barrier to them so you mm. know i come up with a few lines that sort of deal with that mm. um, although it's much less of an issue now than it was even just 10 yeah. years ago it's selling an idea in a particular way so go out and be really weird but then there's a punchline mm. and then something yeah. and then a non sequitur and then a joke with a punchline and then layering it up so that it kind of all sort of works yeah. there are sh- they know you're good they know you're not just do- I mean Josie Long got heckled early on with you're doing this wrong <laughs> <laughs> you know and yeah. Josie you know followed her path and brilliantly because she's yeah. stunning um, but she's like I don't want to do jongles I don't want to do that sort of thing and I was like I kind of do yeah. and maybe mm. that's the influence of metal because because metal's for everyone. It's not, mm. you know, it's not like goth, and it's not like, you know, mm. um, it, it, it's. I mean, metalheads can be pricks, of course, um, <laughs> uh, but it's for everyone, and yeah. it's 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 basically pop music. Still, mm. it's mm. still, you know, even bands like Converge, you know, Converge would never get, would never, you know, express an elitist opinion. It's no. it's for mm. everyone. If you, if you like it, you're, if you like it a bit, you're on board. You're in the club. If you yeah. just, you know, mm. if you like if you like Black Sabbath, you're a metalhead. You're on board. You don't yeah. need to know the albums and that sort of thing. And there's and stand up to me is all stand up is um, is a popular art form. It's a you know, it's not it's not well, it's art. It's more. Yeah, no, let's go. It's art. Yeah, why not? But, it's, but it is. It's a, it's a populist art form. Yeah. And, and at its best, you are expressing ideas to people who would never have thought of that before. Mm. And I, you know, and I, 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 I hate stand-up that is just people saying stuff that everyone mm. thinks. Mm. Um, I, I don't like stand-up unless it's done really skillfully that's just reflecting people's lives back at them. Mm. I like the idea that I spend my days reading and thinking and dicking about so that I can present something to someone. Who, people who've worked a 40-hour week doing a job they hate and they just want to go out and have a really good time. They deserve to, you know, mm. hear some ideas and see something a bit new. Mm. And, you know, and that's like the Beatles. I'm yeah. like, <laughs> this is, I was going to say, because that I is... Feel the, like, I feel like the, the priest who used to come round to my school and tell a story about <laughs> how... Yeah, yeah, and that's a lot like yeah. Jesus. Yeah, that reminds me of my Lord Jesus. <laughs> but that is, the, that is what the Beatles... I mean, I was... Yeah. Today I was listening to... Uh, the Stones, you know, their Satanic Majesty's request just to kind of get some... Uh, I've never really listened to it back-to-back with Pepper and everything. But the, it's the, not the, as good, is it? It's not as good. <laughs> I mean, there are some it's great tracks near as good. But, like, yeah. the, the, the thing is with Pepper is it is having... It is, like you're saying, it has these complicated ideas. It has this complete, you know, range of influences. And yet it's still incredibly accessible, enjoyable yeah. music. Yeah, you know? It's like Monty Python. The Python are the Beatles of, 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 yeah. of comedy. You know the Python. What the Pythons did could have felt really exclusive and and mm. and and you know up sort of middle class and. Yeah, yeah. But I, I used to hitchhike a lot, and and people would always you know tell me we were a comedian, and they they you know like truck drivers go they love Chubby Brown and they love Monty Python. Mm, mm. And you go. I would never have thought that, that was a thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because you know, when I was growing up, the Pythons all seemed really posh to me. Yeah. Mm. But but it is that thing of kind of if you if you can just package it in a way, yeah. People get literally just people get. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, so you're not going. No, you need to do the work to get it. It's, but it's a real skill. I mean, that's what I mean to, to get it over the net. Really, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, that's, that's, that's right. right. That's exactly. I think it. it's about like. People can smell the intent if there's anything sort of remotely intellectually snobby. Yeah, or yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's if, what, yeah. If it's pretentious in any way, you know, all the Python and the Beatles is completely genuine. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. also, I think it's the the fact that so much 
I think I've said this before, but because George Martin was producing it, he makes the some of the songs feel like sketches, and where where everything needs to be clear, the intentions need to be clear, the yeah, voices, yeah. the words need to be clear, and just you know, you know, I don't mean to. No, the to, second side of Abbey Road. I mean yeah. that's that's. I mean, how how more like Python do you want? And just kind of like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. the songs don't necessarily have an ending. That's okay. Just do another song. Just yeah, put another thing yeah, in. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and the arrangements. And I wonder. I do wonder how much, in terms of his arrangements, he's saying those keys don't work. Mm. Yeah. Do this. Your diction's you know? not clear. Yeah. Enough. Right. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. 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 Well, and if you can, I mean, you know, I don't want to, to shit on Satanic Majesty's request, but. The fact that when you listen to it, there's so much that's just lost and it sounds so messy, you know, mm. and it's just not clear and stuff. And I, the I, intentions aren't clear, and you know. Also, in, in terms of in terms of production, listen to the the Who's sixty stuff. Mm. I mean, the Who sell out's a bit different, but the you know, it's it's so thin and it just mm. and you know that's mm. why the Who Live at Leeds is is mm. everyone's favorite Who album because oh oh yeah. right oh that's what they were doing yeah, yeah, you know yeah, the whole yeah, time yeah. Um, and kink stuff as well, early yeah, kink stuff, yeah. until pretty much until they start getting into Village Green. Mm. You know? Yeah, even that sounds a bit weedy. Yeah, I think. it's lovely. Though. I mean, I love it. It's yeah, one of my yeah, favourite yeah. records ever, mm. but it's sort of, you can't, you know, I don't think they would be able to do the kind of, you know, mm. modern remaster version of it because yeah, just, there yeah, isn't yeah. that stuff to play with. Yeah. There's nothing yeah. to beef out on them. Yeah. yeah. usually ask people about Beatles covers or is that a, uh, we've chatted about it a few yeah, times yeah, yeah. yeah um there are two Beatles covers well there are three Beatles covers that I absolutely adore mm-hmm. one we've mentioned already which is the Hendrix version of Day Tripper the Hendrix experience version of Day mm-hmm. Tripper because I think I think uh, Mitch and Noel are key to that mm-hmm. yeah um, it's a really fun upbeat version there's also I'm quite fascinated by the fact that the Beatles were so surprised that Hendrix learned Sgt. Pepper in only 48 hours. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that's yeah. due to their... I think that's due to look, the bubble they were in. Yeah. And it's basically... It's seventh. It's seventh chord. And I think that's why yeah. they're like... But, you know... Have yeah. you, but have you seen what Hendrix actually... Yeah, he anyway. is quite good. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> He's really, really good at that. But it's, it's, it's also... It's a, it's a banging version. And I love the fact that we have a recording of it. Yeah. We have a recording of the one they saw. That's really nice. Yeah. Um, James Hetfield, uh, off of Metallica, mm. does a brilliant version. If you like Hetfield's voice, mm-hmm. yeah, I do. Of uh, in my life, oh really? Oh, yeah. I've never heard that. There's, um, it's on YouTube. It's it's slightly spoiled by. So it was a, a benefit gig. And he does a load of acoustic songs, right? A load of Metallica songs that are really good, uh, and a few others. And and there's a bit too. The crowd don't shut up. Mm. And it's not the best recording, but it's a really beautiful version. Oh wow! And it's yeah. and it's in his voice. Yeah. Um, and uh, <laughs> I can't imagine it. Yeah. It's uh, there are places <laughs> I remember <laughs> in my life. Oh, some have changed. It's really, really, really good, and his playing cool. is gorgeous. There are places I remember all my life. Though some have changed, some forever, not for better. Some have gone, and some remain. Yeah, that's brilliant. The best, though, and that that was my favourite Beatles cover, that and mm. Hendrix. I recently saw 
a video of St. Vincent doing Dig a Pony. Oh, oh right. right. I haven't seen oh, that. I've not seen that either. My word. Wow. It's absolutely beautiful. She does it on her own. Mm. She uses a vocal harmonizer for the for the sort of I guess the choruses. Um and um Is and it her, quite downbeat? Yeah. Right. And, but her playing is really Hendrixy. Yeah. Mm. As well. I mean, she's an astonishing guitar. Oh, it's 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 Absolutely. I mean, I'm a bit obsessed with her. I've seen her. Yeah. I've seen her a couple of times now. And I, one of the things I like about going to Glastonbury, which I for years I was like, oh, I never want to go there. I'm proud to have never been. And then I went. And I went. Oh, look, the whole of Britain's counterculture. Yeah. <laughs> it's not just the. It's not just yeah. the Radio One stuff, which yeah. is over there. It's all of this stuff over here. Yeah. But watching, you know, being dragged by uh, makes it. Yeah, I think I think she's she's incredible. Mm. And it's it's a few. It's a good few years old. But um, her her vocals are gorgeous. But the playing. It's like her singing and Hendrix playing wow. Digger Pony. Amazing. It's absolutely brilliant. Sweet. So that's my, that's that my Beatles good. covers recommendations. Awesome. Have Check you heard the um, Soundgarden cover of Come Together? Because I think that's really good. At some point, <laughs> yeah. we disagree have. on this one. Oh, really? <laughs> I, can't, yeah, I have to say I can't remember it. Yeah, I think it's. I mean, I think Chris Cornell. I mean, I've got a big soft spot for Soundgarden. Yeah. Me too, but I just don't think it's a particularly good cover. <laughs> okay. I prefer the Michael Jackson one. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting, that thing of... of like at the Fringe this year, uh, I really love Tom Waits. Mm. Tom Waits, so I'm a Johnny Come Lately to a, to a couple of... Tom Waits and The Cure, I'm Johnny Come Lately to both of these. Right. Mm. I, now I'm like territorial about them. Mm. I love them so much. Um, of course, The Cure have a huge Beatles influence. Mm. Um, yeah. uh, there's a Tom Waits tribute act at the Fringe. Oh, and my yeah. mate Chris, who I stay with, loves Tom Waits as well and, and saw him on the Glitter and Doom tour. And I'm nice. like, and I just naively went, we should go and see it. And he went, yeah. Might be crap though. I went, oh yeah, might be crap. <laughs> and then I looked this guy up on, on YouTube and I was like, yeah, we're not going. Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> I mean, it's quite ballsy to become a yeah. Tom Waits tribute actor, yeah. but... <laughs> isn't it? Just I do. I I mean, I, I cover a couple of Tom Waits songs in my in my in my sings show. Uh, which kind of it? Which I do clap era? hands? Oh great! Oh, nice. And I do Martha. Oh god. Um, Clap hands is a better version. So I do, but I because when he does it live, he's he's barking song. Clap hands. Yeah. But on the on Rain Dogs, it's much gentler. So yeah. I start gentle, yeah. and then mm. uh, but I do like um, loop arrangements. Oh, nice. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I'm very proud. Martha, I'm I still haven't quite got the arrangement down yet because it's piano and I play it on an yeah. acoustic. So it's you know I'm I'm, I'm getting better at my finger. Mm. This is this is my journey from being a punk guitarist to a yeah. musician. Actually finding and learning and every time I learn a Beatles song. It's one step closer. Mm, mm. <laughs> For the first time ever, we're actually under a time limit because uh, yeah. we're uh, not in our own studio. Yeah. So I will just ask you, just in case we uh, yeah. run out of time. Andrew, do you have a controversial Beatles opinion? I do. Yeah, I really do. <laughs> I've got. I had. I had. I had two, and then I listened to a load of, and I researched one of them, and I thought, no, that's not quite true. <laughs> my first, my first, well, my first controversial opinion was that um, uh, George isn't a very good lead guitarist. Uh, but mm-hmm. I listened, to, but then I listened <laughs> I to. I think a, up until nineteen sixty five, sixty six, there's an argument for that. But that, that you know, uh, I mean, the, the solo on my guitar gently weeps is, is one of his best. Um, I, <laughs> disclaimer: Andrew Neil is a whip. That was Eric Clapton. <laughs> um, but um, so here's my here's my possibly not very controversial opinion. Uh, due to the number of incredible singles that aren't on albums, mm. it's a legitimate opinion for your favourite Beatles album to be the best of the Beatles. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Um, because yeah. I mean, and every now and then I go, "What album's Day Tripper on?" <laughs> 
Mm. Oh no, it's not. Uh, hang yeah. on. Oh, it's, and 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 I think also because of the way that I have listened to the Beatles, because of my the way I interact with them, very much like Slayer. Um, I bought a load of Slayer albums at the same time, so I have trouble remembering which. Which yeah. is, yeah. I mean, it's basically Seasons in the West and South of Heaven. Can't remember which. I yeah. uh, can't know good at song titles um, on those two albums, and that, that's the same with the Beatles. I find it quite hard to locate a lot mm. of songs on albums, and and some of the albums slightly merge into each other. Yeah. But that thing, there are so many singles. Yeah. Yeah. That aren't on, you know, um, yeah. So that's 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 my. That's good. No, I like that. Yeah, that's a yeah. good point and a good excuse for them to bring out all those singles box sets because <laughs> yeah. people can only get the reissues that way. Absolutely. Um, yeah. But uh, no, that's great. We'll put that down as a, a, a superb, controversial opinion. Fabulous. Um, and we'll leave just by saying thanks so much for talking to us, Andrew. That was an yeah. absolute blast. That's an absolute pleasure. Thank you. It's been brilliant. From, yeah. Have you got anything to plug? Oh God, loads! Uh, <laughs> got, um, follow me on social media, and please follow my Patreon because I make lots of uh, sketch comedy and things like that on uh, Patreon.com/slash Andrew O'Neill. Mm. And I'm on tour forever, <laughs> so <laughs> always on tour. So yeah, go go to my website AndrewNeill.co.uk and come and see me um, be the the converge of stand-up. <laughs> Fantastic! Thank and the history of heavy metal by Andrew O'Neill is oh, also that out as now well, yeah. in all good bookshops. <laughs> Oh yeah, and that yeah. Buy my buy my book and my DVD. So that was a brilliant Andrew O'Neill. So we're very grateful for them to for coming in and sharing some personal Beatles with us. A fabulous episode, and highly recommend the book, uh, The History of Heavy Metal. Yeah, thanks so much, Andrew. That was a fantastic episode. So before we go, you wanted to do a little addendum about I'm only sleeping furthering on from our conversation on the bonus podcast about the new Revolver Super Deluxe box set. So uh, what have you uncovered? (laughs) Yes, so I didn't realise that when we talk about the original release of Revolver, we're not just talking about two different versions, mono versus stereo. We're talking about four or maybe even five different versions. There's UK mono, UK stereo, US mono and US stereo. And there's also a kind of US fake stereo, which is where they reverbed up the uh, US mono to make it kind of appear in stereo. So it's not just the sound and placement that's different in these versions, it's the actual content, and this is best exemplified by the backwards guitar in I'm Only Sleeping, which appears in different places in all four versions of the song, in UK mono, UK stereo, US mono, US stereo. But it's the same solo just appearing at different times, it's not a different take or anything? It's Yeah, it's kind of being ducked in and out at different times. Right, right, okay. Um, so being familiar with the original stereo LP of Revolver, the first thing I noticed when, you, when I heard the mono version is the extra backwards guitar in the third verse of the song. And weirdly, not only is this not present in the stereo version, it's different than the UK mono and the US mono. So here's the US mono, little snippet of the third verse. Take it away. And here's the UK version from the new Revolver box set. So interesting, hey? Very, very Mm, different. Fascinating. (laughs) Different versions there. And it's also, it's interesting to document the availability of the mono versions of the album. So obviously there was the 2009 CD box set, Beatles in Mono which was obviously a digitised version. Then the mono albums were released on 180-gram vinyl in 2014, individually and as a box set, and this time mastered directly from the original analogue tapes. 
and uh, not the digital masters. So you were saying you've got the revolver. I've got the from... revolver, yeah, 2014 version as well as my original mono version. Oh, nice. Yeah. That's a good compare and contrast. And now I've got the 2022 version. So I've got three yeah. copies of revolver now and my old tape. <laughs> yeah. It's really worth following Gareth James on Twitter, um, who's at Just Played. Because he's very, he's, he wrote a good thing, a good review of the new Revolver box set, where he thinks the new mono version is a bit hotter than the 2014 mm-hmm. version. So there are slight differences between them. And another thing that I think is interesting is to do with streaming, because this is the first time the UK mono Revolver has been on streaming services. So previously, if you wanted to download or stream the mono Revolver, you'd have to get the big US albums box set and make a playlist, because obviously mm-hmm. the US Revolver track listing is different from the UK. So you'd have to compile it from yesterday and today and the US revolver. So the bottom line is, I feel like you should just be able to walk into a shop and buy the mono revolver CD. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Like it, it's hard to just get hold of what should be the kind of divi- definitive version and yeah. unless you're getting the 2014 LP, which is quite pricey, you know. But mm. anyway, there we go. Thus endeth my point. Sorry. There we go. Yeah, fascinating <laughs> stuff. <laughs> Get well soon. <laughs> oh man! And just 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 a little insight here. We had to do two takes of that, and Jack is Jack's gone uh, uh, quite a, a, quite a shade oh, of puce. Oh, it's quite funny. I mean, some people find this sort of thing more interesting than others. I think that's what we can take away from it. But um, it's very true. It's it's uh, it's fascinating. <laughs> Yeah. Brilliant. <laughs> well, if you want more deep dive gold like that, um, then you can check out our bonus Revolver podcast, which is available on Patreon. And it, it's, it's better than that, I should say. <laughs> I mean, I think that's very all very interesting stuff. It is. It and is. thanks to Joe Wisby as well. He pointed out some really good links about this. Um, well, you know, there's a, there's a really good website. Maybe we'll link to it, where, which has all the kind of um, details about all the different, all the release history of every single song. Mm. So we'll, we'll we'll pop a link to that. Yeah, let's do it. We'll be back next week uh, with a brilliant episode with Max Tundra. Yes, Max Tundra is a brilliant experimental musician and pop artist, and we had a fantastic chat with him about all things Beatles. So that's coming up next week. So we'll see you then. Thanks very much for listening, if you got this far, especially this week. Um, <laughs> sorry. Um, <laughs> keep bloody beetling on, I guess. Keep beetling on. Yeah, KBO. Bye-bye. Bye. Your Own Personal Beatles is presented by Jack Pelling and Robin Allender. The podcast artwork is done by Morgan Ritchie. It's produced by me, Jack Pelling, and is a Homespun Sounds production.